thankful for all those who are filling in while Stephen is gone. We have our college ministry docs, a worship group. Amazing. I love we have this good worship going on in so many places. I want to make sure I tell you so I don't forget, there's also a treat for you coming up on December the 28th, right after Christmas. I got a call from Josh Rose, one of our former worship leaders. Our worship leaders go to the mission field. We're asking Stephen, I wonder where you're going. Um, we're not going to try to get rid of him, but it seems that's what's happened. We have three different worship leaders that are now on the mission field, which is amazing. That's just the way it ought to be. But uh, Josh, uh, you gave him that amazing offering between us and the Church of St. George so they can buy that new pickup. They have the money. They're going to buy it in January. I guess one of those deals where you pay the same amount of taxes whether you do it in December and then turn around and do it in January. So you wait till January to buy it. But he's going to come through to say thank you. So he's going to be preaching here on December the 28th, that Sunday morning. And he's excited to see you and just to say thank you. And uh, praise God with you, just like this passage we're looking at today. We have been looking at the disciplines of grace. Jesus said at the end of, of the life of Christ there in Matthew, he said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, then teach them to observe, observe all things I've commanded you. And so we've been just looking at some different disciplines that we ought to be about in the Christian life. This morning we're going to talk about Christian giving and this amazing opportunity that these folks here in Corinth had. So when I'm in the, the epistles, I like to have my son in the faith, Ben, come and quote it. He's memorized now from uh, Romans through Hebrews, James, past. And so uh, he's an encouragement and a kind of conviction to all of us in memorizing the scripture, but it's a gift God has given him, and it's almost like listening to the Apostle Paul as he's writing it. So, Ben, he's going to be in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. He's going to come and quote that for you, and it kind of gives you the whole uh, message that Paul is doing. Then I'll preach. Well, good morning. Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment 
This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing that of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother, whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they're messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. 
by their approval of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as you look at this passage today about bountiful giving, Lord, I pray that we would be bountiful givers like our Savior, that you would grow us in our life, that we might be more like the Lord in this area. Lord, not only meeting needs, but as Paul instructs, Lord, that we might be growing in righteousness. Lord, I pray for those that are here that do not know you as Savior, Lord, that they would be open to the gospel just in that one line. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift that even in this Christmas season, this might be the time when they receive that gift of life from Jesus Christ. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian giving is a, is a matter of our relationship with God. The Bible gives us instruction in both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about different giftednesses in the church. That's why it's so important. Last week, uh, the messages aren't up yet. Have patience. I hope we're going to get them up. I want to listen to Sean's message too because several have said, I was really convicted by that. So praise the Lord. Uh, but it's so important that you not just get saved, but that you plug into a church because that's where you minister your giftedness. Only Jesus had all of the spiritual gifts. But he's placed in the, in, in the church so that together we become the body of Christ. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives us instruction. And he said he's given some teachers, some pastor teachers, some evangelists so that they minister to the church, so the church does the work of the ministry. And he goes on to talk about giftednesses. Now, as you minister your gift, whatever that gift is, there's not a complete list, I think, of spiritual gifts. Paul just gives us the idea in those two locations. And they're not, you may have probably more than one gift, and you have a mix because God knows where he's going to place you in the body. But maybe you have the gift of serving, and you just see a need, and you just kind of get busy serving. It's what you do. You don't even think about it. That's a spiritual gift. Others have the gift of preaching. Others have the gift of study, and they have the ability to teach the Word of God. Some have the ability of administration. And so when we have a, a little tea like yesterday, our elders' wives got together, and they got it all organized, and it was so beautiful the way to put it together. Uh, Debbie asked me if I wanted to help with the cheese and meat tray. I said, no, no, no presentation is important. With guys, we just kind of throw it out there. We eat it, it's gone. We don't think about it. We want to make sure this looks good also. All those giftedness come together. Now, I know that you may think, I'm so glad I don't have the gift of giving because I don't have to be giving all the time. You see, people with the gift of giving are always looking for those opportunities. It's amazing, though, that those people that have the gift of giving also have the gift of getting money. And so it just becomes this channel of blessing. He said, well, I, I, I'm glad I don't have that gift. No, listen. 
The point of the giftedness is, it says there in Ephesians 4, till we all come and we grow up to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. So that if you find a person that's been plugged into a local church, a, a church where they're carrying out their giftedness, they're ministering the word of God, ministering to one another, you may be hard put to figure out what a man's spiritual or a woman's spiritual gift is because they're growing up in all areas because they've been plugged into the church. Now, we live in a day and age of independence. If you say, well, I'm saved, so I don't need the church. Besides, the church has problems. And I say, I, I agree. You know, If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll wreck it. There are no perfect churches. We're all growing still. But your place of maturity is plugged in, maybe not to this church, but to a church where you can give yourself to the ministry, every one. So we grow up to the measure of the stature of Christ. So in chapter 8, as has uh, been uh, quoted that, we see the examples of giving. Not only the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty, but Jesus Christ, who, for, who was rich but for our sakes became poor, that we might be made rich. You have the example then he gives the instruction in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He begins in the first five verses. And he says, listen, you need to be ready to give. A believer always ought to be ready to give. Why? Because we understand as believers that everything we have, everything we are, belongs to Christ. It's not yours. It's not your spouse even. That, that spouse belongs to the Lord. You, as a man, are to be a faithful steward of that relationship. As a woman, you're to be a faithful steward of that relationship you have with them because they're a gift from God. Your children don't belong to you. They belong to God. You're a steward. Your money, your possessions, they're all God's. Now, the difference between the unsaved world and the believing world is we understand that. See, God owns everything even if they don't give God the glory. And they'll answer for that one day. The Bible says in Psalm 24... The earth is the Lord and everything that lives on it, everything that breathes belongs to God. The difference for believers is we recognize that. So now in this passage, he's talking in particular about a special offering. Our regular life ought to be regular proportionate giving of what we make. The first, some people say, well, the tithe is not for today. Well, listen, the tithe was a manner of demonstrating God's ownership before the law came. And I think for believers, it's a good starting point. Just begin by giving the first tithe. You make, you make $100, give 10 to the Lord. Andy Stanley gave, I think, one of the greatest short financial seminars when he said, listen, what he was taught by his dad was, you make, you make some money, the first 10% goes to the Lord. The second 10% you save, and you live on the 80%. And then when you make more, you live on less. So that you're always available to give when the Lord wants you to give. You're always available to go when the Lord wants you to go. We live in a culture of debt, don't we? I mean, we've even had a president tell us that to get out of debt, we just got to spend more money. Now, I don't know how that works in your life, but that doesn't work good in my life. When I get out of debt, I got to owe less money and spend less money, right? But we leave out God. The world doesn't know anything about God. God is the one that gives us the abilities, the opportunities whether it's in business or in agriculture, the harvest we get, all comes from God. Now, in the Old Testament, God gave a system to the Old Testament Hebrew that he would understand that God owns everything. So he gave them the land. The land was all allotted out through the families, right? 
But during the course of 50 years, somebody might go in debt and you don't have to borrow on their land or sell their land. But every 50 years, called the year of Jubilee, the land all went back to its original families. So that they always knew the land belongs to God. So when wicked King Ahab wanted that vineyard that he saw beneath the, the, the villa that he was living, and Jezebel said, you want to just kill him. You're the king. And when it killed that man and stole his vineyard, why wouldn't he give him the vineyard? He said, that's my inheritance. It's God's. I can't just give away what's God's. So every 50 years, it all go back to the original owners so that they knew whether they're tithing or their year of sabbatical they got or the year of jubilee, everything they have, everything they lived on was God's. Their harvest every year, they would have celebrations and they would have offerings and all the different wave offerings and burnt offerings just to worship God in recognition that everything belongs to God. As a believer, we understand that. So what he does is, I want you to be a faithful steward. Now, in some respects, that makes things easier. I don't know if you've thought about this, but a very practical application would begin to understand that even my car, my pickup truck, belongs to the Lord. So when your son or your wife dents it, you can say, Lord, do you see what they did to your truck? See that? You don't have to take it personal anymore. It's not yours. And my son PJ used to, he, he really good at working on everything, just like his brother Andrew. And he used to leave my tools all over the place. He used to get so upset. PJ, these tools are so important. They're valuable, right? And the Lord convicted me. Who's more important, the tools or PJ? Well, I got, he won that one. So you know what I did? I gathered up all the tools and gave them to PJ. He still left them around, but it didn't bother me anymore. They were PJs now. See, when we begin to recognize that everything's the Lord, it's not like, oh, Lord, if I give this away, I won't have it anymore. You know, do you own your possessions or do they own you? God says we're just stewards. And Jesus gave instruction in the gospel that if you can't be a faithful steward now of that which is another's, who's going to give you that which is yours in eternity? Wow. So Jesus said, don't lay up treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroys and thieves can break through and steal, but lay up treasure in heaven. How do we do that? By being bountiful givers. Being hilarious givers. What does that mean? Just being available for the Lord to move because it's a matter of our relationship. So he says in the first six verses, I want you to be prepared to give. Then at verse five, or first five verses. Now in verse six, he begins with these principles. Not only be ready, but understand that it's like planting a field. So if you sow sparingly, you're gonna reap sparingly. Now you sow a grain of of wheat or of corn, you get more than just that grain back, don't you? You get a whole head. And farmers understand. So if I want a big harvest, I've got to plant all the seeds that I have. Now, this isn't the health and wealth gospel that God's just a money machine. If you put this much in, you're going to get more back because he doesn't promise that. Look at this passage, what it's teaching. He's just saying, listen, you have an opportunity. Don't give as little as you can. Give as much as you can. How do you do that? It's based on relationship. He says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart. That's relationship. First of all, we're talking about a special gift of people that have a need. Later, we're going to talk about how this is related to the gospel. 
But that means you pray about it. And that's why we practice that here. We don't come to you with a need and say, oh, church, if you don't give, people are going to starve. We'll never get this building built. We'll never get this mission done. We don't do that. It's not about manipulation. We actually believe that you walk with God and you can talk to God and God can tell you what to do on a special offering. No, he's already given instruction on regular proportionate giving. You make some money, you're involved in a church, you give to that church. You're a part, you're partnering with that church. But then a special offering come up, comes up, whether it's missions or a building project or like the pickup truck for the ministry down there in, uh, in Mexico or maybe we'll have an opportunity someday to help them get a building down in St. George so they can really establish uh, a ministry point down there. But Paul says, as each one is purpose in his heart. And he said, I don't want to show up and have the wedding. I want or the, the, uh, the offering. I want to do the offering before I get there. So you're not motivated by covetousness or by something, oh, Paul will see me giving. We've already seen an example of Paul, the people that gave just for people that, so people could see, right? In Acts chapter 5, not good. People drop dead. So Paul says, I want you to give based upon what God has done in your heart. Then when God has purposed what you should give, then he's saying, make sure you carry through on that. Make sure you carry through. So we've made it kind of a matter of course we do here. We have a special offering. We tell you about it. And then we say, pray. Now, if you don't pray, you're disobedient. But then we take the offering and it's not very much. We don't come back and beat you up. We know that's direction. Okay, well, we thought that was the Lord. As elders, we, oh, every offering we take, we get together. What do you think, guys? Sometimes we have the money just in the budget to give, but many times we say, you know what? The church needs to be a part of this. This, should, this isn't like government money we just take in and just kind of willy-nilly give it what we think. We have to pray about those things. But the best is when we I'll come back to you and say, listen, here's a special need. We want you to pray about it. And then you give as God in your relationship, purposes in your heart, then follow through with that. Knowing that God loves a cheerful giver, not in a compulsion, or as it's said in Ben's translation, so you come, it's not an distraction, you know, give me your money, Right? If you loved the Lord, then you'll give to those poor people in Jerusalem. He said, no, no, you understand the need. They've laid out the need. It's been a year. They have plenty of time to pray about it. We don't want to do an extraction here because God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because God wants us to grow to what? The measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be like Jesus in everything. And especially, you see our heart when it comes to giving. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, verse 8, here's the promise. And God's going to make you filthy rich. Not what it says, is it? This is not the health and wealth gospel. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you have an abundance for every good deed. You have the ability to continue to give. You can't outgive the Lord. You can't do it. After the first service, the lady came to me and says, you know, I love giving, but how do I know if I'm being foolish or not? I said, well, I can't tell you that. I just know that if it's a worthy cause and God has laid it upon your heart, he's not going to say, oh, you gave too much. 
Sometimes you're praying about a gift and then God lays this big number and you say, oh, that's got to be the devil. That can't be the Lord. Lord would do that to me. Maybe he might, right? God's not going to put you in a position so all of a sudden you have to stop living. Your kids have to go live with somebody else because you gave too much in church. Remember growing up in Wheatland across the alley from a family that they didn't go to church because their grandpa gave too much and the kids went without. And so that father then didn't believe in church anymore. And I'm like, well, you're here and you're healthy. Seems like things have worked out. Now, I don't know what that guy did. Maybe he did hurt his family for that. But God's just saying, hey, you pray about it and then give what God tells you. And God is able to make you to be all sufficient for another opportunity to give. That's the promise. It goes on. As it is written, he scattered abroad. In other words, God just sows everywhere. God is always giving. He reigns on the righteous and the unrighteous. This world is so full of God's goodness. God just scatters his goodness everywhere. He gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. All of a sudden, God's not going to stop in his faithfulness to you because now it's the 21st century. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That's what God's after, to make you rich in faith. He knows you have to eat. He knows. One of the great blessings of raising my family on a limited budget And Chrissy always wondered why the boys had to have separate shoes for each sport. Well, because it's important. Well, these shoes have cleats and these have, I'm sorry, Christy, you just don't use baseball cleats for football and vice versa. You got to have special shoes. Now, I'm a shoe guy, so so I understood that, but my wife didn't. But you know, God was so good. In those days, we didn't have Walmart. We just had Kmart. But Kmart would always have these cool shoes that almost look like Nikes, you know? And they were really good. And every time we needed shoes, it seemed like there was a sale. And sometimes I was not even faithful enough as a dad to pray about it. I just knew, got to get some shoes. Those boys would go through shoes one season. And they'd grow out of them and they'd, they'd just wear out of them. And you got to get more shoes. But the great blessing of going to the store, even if it was Walmart, and walking out and the boys are happy with what they got. They look like good shoes, you know, they're cool. And then the Lord would hit me with just that thought. See, I care about what your boys are wearing. I care about that. And I have to stop right there and just say, thank you, Lord, for providing shoes so they can play sports. God cares about all those little things. He doesn't care about making you filthy rich. Few of us could handle that. But he does want us to grow in our relationship and know that you can trust him with anything. And one of the ways he tests that is in our giving. That's where you can see your heart. Look at a person's checkbook. That's where they spend their money. That's their treasure, what they're writing their checks for. You know, what is your your credit card? That's probably more modern, right? What does your credit card statement say or your debit card statement? Where are you putting your money at? What's important? God wants us to have an amazing harvest of his righteousness that we grow to be more and more like him. Verse 11, you will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Not only is God going to make sure that you have sufficient to take care of your family and your things, 
He wants to increase the harvest of your righteousness, and he wants you to make you rich in all spiritual blessings. Now listen, the Bible says in, he, in, Hebrew, in the book of Ephesians that you already have all those spiritual blessings in heaven. The problem is you need to grow to realize that. And you don't go to realize that without having some tests of your faith. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, he gloried even in tribulation. He found out that even the trials were something to glory in. Because in those trials, he was able to gain some patience and realize he could endure more than he think he could endure. And that's why he told Timothy, learn to endure hardness, learn to get strong. But he said also, you found out about hope. Because experience brings hope that the God brought you the last trial, he's going to bring you through the next trial because God is faithful. So the next time that trial comes up, shouldn't be a big deal. In fact, if you mature, you, like Paul, you begin to look forward to the trials. wonder what God's going to do this time. How's he going to do it this time? You're looking at the possibility of a building project. And buildings have gotten more expensive in the last 10 years or 11 since we built this. More expensive. But you know, those of us that were a part of building this, what we experienced was blessing and fellowship and discipleship and people that could just show up to work. Pretty soon they're getting to know people and then they're really a part of the church. That's what we experienced. And we experienced God's supernatural blessing in provision. And we grew in our faith. So as much as we have a place to meet, but we need more space... And as a pastor, we had nothing, so this was really cool to be able to come in here. And those, even today, when I'm praying with people that were a part of building this church, they say, and Lord, thank you for our building. Why? Because they were a part of it. But we're going to have to build another one. And as a pastor, I'm going, I know what this takes. I know what this takes. But according to the scripture, I also know what's going to bring the blessing of testimony. Did you see what God did? That's what God's trying to do. That we just get more and more amazed with what God can do. And sometimes he uses just the little trials of the challenge of our giving. Paul says, The ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, so the purpose of the offering was to meet the needs down in Jerusalem, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ. What does he mean? 1 John chapter 3. John says, little children, let us not love in word. Oh yes, we love people. But in deed and in truth, So if you see your brother and sister and they have a need and you have the ability to meet that need and you say to them, hey, listen, I'll be praying for you. Be thou warm and filled. I hope somebody does something for you and you don't try to meet that need. Confession of the gospel. How does the love of God even dwell in you? That's what John says. That's pretty tough, isn't it? But these people, they say, those people are real believers. We already have the example of the folks at Macedonia that gave out of their poverty. And now, these that have more money, because I'll tell you something. It's a tougher thing for a rich person to give than is a poor person. 
I know treasurers of our church in the past have been so blessed when they see college students that have a $5 check or a $10 check. They put in the offering regularly and consistently because they're honoring the Lord. They don't have hardly anything, but they're giving. And God is able to take that and make it abound to meet all the needs. You're a rich person. Oh, they got to have strings tied. They got to set up their own foundation so that they know everybody that gets money from knows where it came from. Because, I mean, we can't just give it to the church. Hmm. What is that? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. And it's also, I want to control where things go. Where hilarious giver says, hey, I don't know what that person's going to do with the money. I don't know how it's going to go in that mission endeavor. I don't know if we're going to get the building finished or not, but I'm going to give to it. Because the Lord has directed me. And he said the result is going to be overflowing of worship and praise. And people are going to know there's some real Christians down there. That's what Paul says. They glorify God because they have real believers that are caring for them. And then he says, while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. They say, oh, if we could just meet with them. Josh is a part of our church. Josh and Candace, part of us, and they went down to Mexico, and they're ministering down there in the Copper Canyon where some of us will probably never go. Ministering to the people that are just destitute, living in caves, some of them, no medical care, full of superstition that kills them. You, you, you read their missionary letters, and the ignorance is killing so many of those people. And he says, you know, we need a truck so we can carry folks back and forth better. And you just overwhelmingly gave. Now listen, one day, we're going to meet some of those people that are down there in the Copper Canyon in heaven. And they're going to rejoice that you gave to a pickup truck so they could get their sick ones to the hospital. You gave to the ministry so that Josh and Candace could bring the gospel to them. And they're in heaven because you cared and because you gave. Paul says, these believers in Jerusalem, they yearn for you now. Now, remember who the people believers in Jerusalem was. They're the ones that thought they had the corner on faith. After all, they were Jews. And some of them, even as Christian Jews, were still very prejudiced toward, you know, those Gentiles. But God, in his sovereign purpose, let them have a trial so those Gentiles could meet the need. So God would build the unity of the church. And the people that were in Jerusalem would realize those Gentiles... They're every bit as much believers as we are. The Father used them to meet our need, and oh, do I want to meet them someday and thank the Lord for their faithfulness. And then Paul wraps up our motivation for giving in one simple line. But thanks to God for his indescribable gift. See, we don't give because of necessity or because we get ahead or we get to be in heaven, have a better place in heaven. Our motivation is because we love Jesus. And you cannot give that kind of love. He's our example, and he's our motivation. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sin by his blood, he washed us individually from our sin in his own blood. To him be the glory. John the Baptist said, and the word became flesh. The one who created the worlds 
That baby that was born in the manger was a star breather. Breathed out the stars also, it says in Psalms. He just breathed out the stars. He framed the worlds by his words. That person took upon him flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And John said, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 3, 16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish. Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, becomes the savior of the world by taking our place on the cross. And then he promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He walks with us even through the valley, the shadow of death. He's our provider. He's our example. He wants to hear from us in every little thing. He wants to fellowship with you as his child. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, we thank you for this passage. Oh, Lord, that we take it to heart, that we would learn to trust you more and more. Lord, I'm thankful for a church that's a giving church. Lord, we want to increase in our faithfulness. We want to see more and more people come to know Jesus as their Savior. We want to see more missionaries sent to the field. Want there be no doubt about our confession about the gospel. Lord, that we might be hilarious givers, that we might be like our Savior in everything. And then we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.